The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. I wanted to share with you a little bit about uh, the time that I recently spent in Uganda and to talk about that because I know that people are saying like, okay, you've been to Uganda, please tell us all the experience and everything that's happened. And I think to myself, wow, how am I going to contain... Even though it's only been over, uh, I was out there for basically eight days, uh, only a short while. How can I contain all that I went to learn and all that I did learn in such a small period of time? How do I convey that? How do I unpack that? Because in one sense, it's quite difficult to do so. And uh, in fact, in one sense, it's almost impossible. So anyway, what I decided in thinking about it, I thought, okay, there's lots that I want to say, but it's difficult just to say it in looking at one particular avenue. So I'm going to take the next couple of weeks and actually just try to unpack a little bit of the conversations that I had, of the experience that I had, um, and yeah, just really to help you understand a little bit more about what took place and the experience. Um, first of all, I'm going to share a verse for you. Uh, Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. It says this, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I have called my son. Now this is actually a a prophetic statement talking about the fact that Jesus, when he was born, he was taken into Egypt because he was there to have safety from what was going to happen to Herod, obviously was out to try and kill all the baby boys. So Mary and Joseph take Jesus into Egypt, and so the prophet said, out of Egypt... I have called my son. For those who are in the continent of Africa, they love this scripture. Because it has a reference to them that Jesus came to the continent of Africa. So as far as they're concerned, Jesus has been on our territory. And therefore, I've called this subject, or this talk today, out of Africa. From this point of view, that actually I've gone to Africa. I've gone to that continent too. But also discovered the things of God that are there. And so I just use that as a point of connection. And that's why I've called these talks out of Africa. So it's not after the film, or something like that. It's because we're looking at the fact of God as doing things in Africa. So I'm asking this question, why Uganda? And in one sense, to help us understand a little bit, even of what this last trip was about, to help us understand that, I'm going to tell a little bit of my own personal story. Some of you have heard this before, but not all of you. And so I'm going back to 1980, 1998, 1999. I'm not exactly sure what the year was, but I do remember the meeting. I was invited by a local pastor, Timothy Akin Louis. Uh, who runs a church in St. Paul's Cray, to come and hear another pastor speak, a guy called Tony Rappu. Tony Rappu was connected to, uh, or Timothy had uh, connections with him, or one of his family members, and he'd come over to the UK, and he had come to talk about church growth. And the interesting thing was, or what Timothy said to me, this guy's built a church in Nigeria, and it's gone from zero to 2,000. He's going to talk about some of the things they did. Would you like to come and hear him speak? And and he said this to a number of other pastors. So I said, yes, I'd like to. So I went along one Saturday morning to Timothy's house uh, to listen to this guy speak. So 
you know, we get there, we gather, and uh, Tony Rapu then starts to share a little bit about how they had established this church in, Niger- in Nigeria, what they'd done, and he was talking about various aspects of the church. And while he was saying this, he just commented on the fact, and, and we pray, and we pray through the night. Uh, on a Friday night, we have our prayer meetings, we pray through the night, and this is one of the things that they did. So he carried on, and then we had a coffee break. So when we came to have the coffee break, yes, I got my coffee, I got a biscuit or whatever you do, but I took this opportunity to go and speak to uh, Tony Rappu. And I said to him, I said, oh, you were talking, thank you very much for what you've been sharing, very interesting, that sort of thing. I said, I just happened to notice, you, you said you pray through the night on Friday nights, you know. I said, that's great. Um, I said, we pray. Uh, you know, we pray here in England. Uh, so, but we don't, what is this praying through the night? Can you just, you know, help me a little bit with that? So the guy says, yes, we pray through the night. On a Friday night, we have, our, you know, we have this night watch meeting and uh, we're praying. We're praying in tongues. We're, we're praying in, in our local language. We might have a little bit of preaching. We sing some songs. But we pray through the night. That's what we do. So I said, okay, thank you very much. Uh, and that was it. And I just sort of went back and we listened to the rest of the talk. And, but there was something questioning in my mind, I guess, and so later the next week, I took some time aside and I thought, well, these people, they, they, they pray through the night. They pray a lot in tongues. They, they do that for long periods of time. Can I do that? I knew that I could pray in tongues, but I, I'd never tested this out. So anyway, what I decided to do was to take literally half an hour out. Right, I'm going to go and pray for half an hour. And I went into this room. There's a clock on the wall in the room. And so like it's 10 o'clock in the morning. Okay, I'm going to pray from 10 o'clock to half past 10 in tongues, starting now. And off I go. And then after you know, a short while, what I thought was a long while, I look at the clock. It's two minutes past 10. And I'm thinking like, wow. Press in a little bit further here. So I pressed in a little bit more. It's now 10 past, you know. Come 20 past, and I'm saying, God, please, will you please let, you know. Anyway, I'm praying in tongues for, and eventually it gets to half past 10, and I have done it. I've done nonstop in tongues for half an hour. Not that that's anything to be applauded. I don't mean that. This was something like, these people say they do this. What about us? Can we do this? And so it got to half past ten, there were no bells, there were no whistles, there was no opening of the heavens over this place. It's just the fact that I was really pleased that the clock had moved from ten o'clock to half past ten, and actually, okay, I had accomplished that. But having said that, having said that, there was something that had affected me. Because following that time, I then began to ask anybody that I came across, really, so what is it you do about prayer? How do you pray? What are the things you do? Particularly, as it were, not English people or people who are pastors in this country, but people who are coming from overseas. Anybody who can, what exactly do you do? And I was trying to learn and understand this. So this is the setting. And a short while after this, Trevor Payne, who was our pastor at the time and was leading us, He had a call from uh, some Brazilian friends of his who said, Trevor, Trevor, can you help us out? We've got these two Ugandan guys who are coming uh, and they need to go to Paris tomorrow. They're going out on the Eurostar tomorrow, but they've got nowhere to stay in London. Can you put them up overnight? So Trevor, being the sort of generous and hospitable guy that he was, he says, yeah, sure, they can come and stay at my house. Um, And then they said, well, can you help them get up to to the Eurostar uh, the next day. So Trevor said, well, I can't, but anyway, he asked me, he said, Jonathan, can you take these guys up on the train to Waterloo? Because this is when the Eurostar was going out of Waterloo. Can you take them up there tomorrow? I said, yes, sure. 
So the following morning, I go to Trevor's house, or the following afternoon, I go to Trevor's house, and I'm introduced to these two Ugandans, one of whom was John Malindi, and the other one was Arnold Mwangi. That doesn't necessarily mean anything to you, but that's fine. They're two people. So I get them on the train at Hayes, and I take them up uh, towards Waterloo. So on the train, John was doing some reading or something, but Arnold was there, and so I was asking Arnold, Arnold, what is it you do about prayer? How do you pray? What is it that happens in your country? And so all of this conversation was happening. And in that short journey up towards Waterloo, uh, I talked to him about that. And anyway, he said, look, okay, we're going to Paris today, but you know, I'm going to be back from Paris, and I'm actually going to be based in London for a little while. When I come back, why don't you come and meet with me? We'll have a coffee and we'll talk more. Said, yeah, absolutely. So that's what I arranged to do. And certainly, sometime later, I met up with Arnold, and then I met him again. And in the course of one of these conversations, it eventually came out and I said to Arnold, I said, Arnold, if I was to come out to Uganda, would that be helpful, do you think, in me and some of these questions? Would it be helpful for me to see what is actually happening out there? And he just said, said, yes, come out to our conference in January. We have a prayer conference in January. Come out to that conference. It lasts just for uh, two weeks. Uh, Come out to that and uh, see what the story is. So I said, okay. So from there, I made arrangements, and in January 2000, I went out to Uganda for the first time. First time that I've ever been to Africa. In actual fact, I can remember, uh, you know, you have these things, where would you like to go in the world? You know, some people call it their bucket list. People have, where would you like to go? Some say, oh, I'd like to go to this island in the Caribbean. I'd like to go here. Maybe, maybe I'd like to go trekking in the Himalayas. But one of the, I thought, you know, maybe I'd like to go to Australia or something like that. But I never thought... I really wanted to go to Africa, particularly, any particular country. It wasn't high on my agenda. But here I find myself going to Uganda and arriving there and, uh, yeah, just being like, wow, this is, this, is Afri- this is Uganda. This is different, you know. And I got taken, I went to the airport, got taken from the airport to a hotel, just uh, left my bags there and then got taken to the conference straight away because it had just started. So I go to this local primary school, Nakasero Primary School, and to this conference. Now, you know, we've all idea a conference in England is certain things. You'd register and, you know, well, okay, I did have some registration. I got a registration that was sorted out, got a badge to wear. Okay, that's the same. The sort of the setting was a little different. As I say, it was in the sort of the courtyard of this primary school. The covering was with some wooden poles and just a sort of a... a, a, a um, a sheet that's keeping out the sunshine, and they're just garden chairs and plastic chairs. And I thought, wow, it's a bit ramshackle, but okay, that's fine. But as the conference went on, it was just like, wow, what on earth is going on here? Because they tended to pray for like, you know, an hour or so, and then they'd have worship for like an hour and a half, and then they'd have preaching for like two hours, and then Instead of having a break, they just went back to the beginning. They had more prayer, and then they'd have more worship. And this just sort of seemed to go on and on. I just thought, like, what is up with these people? This is, like, crazy. It's crazy, and yet it was impactful. And so this was going on from day to day. And in one sense, you sort of, like, you get a bit tired of it, and you get confused. They had our times of prayer. And, you know, yes, I joined in with them in their times of prayer, and they would, you know, you'd get a couple of people, they'd come and hold hands with you, and we'd be praying about something, and you'd say, like, yes, Lord, you know, and about two minutes in, you'd say, wow, yeah, that's good, that's me finished. And they'd just keep going and keep going and keep going. And you think, like, what on earth is going on here? 
what on earth is going on here? How do they do this? So I suppose I had more questions than anything else. And that was the case. So going through this conference, there was one evening where John Melindy was preaching and he came up to preach and uh, I was listening intently. I loved his preaching. I loved the encouragement and everything that was going on with the preaching. I loved that. And it was great encouragement. And I remember he'd, he'd preached and uh, it was just a good time and I was listening and I, my heart was sort of like, yes. And as he finished the end of the sermon, he started to, just started to sing. And so he starts singing this hymn, and he's singing it in the local language, which is called Lugandan. And so I don't recognize the words that he's singing, but I'm thinking, I know this tune, I know this tune. So you know how you go through that thing, like you, one thing you're trying to decipher what the words are, because you don't really know what the words are, but at the same time, your brain is saying, like, hang on, I recognize this. And so I was going through that process in my heart, when suddenly I hear the words come into my mind, because I know this. Can you find a friend so faithful? It's what a friend we have in Jesus is the hymn he was singing. And we come to the second verse and it's suddenly in my mind. Can you find a friend so faithful who will all your burdens share? I'm weeping. I feel like I've been hit by a train. That's the only thing I can describe it as. It feels like, whoa, what is this? has just impacted me. I can't remember what he preached on. I can remember the song, I can remember that moment, but even now when I retell the story, I can feel that presence that comes. And God came and touched my life. And it's like, what did he do? I don't know what he did. I just know that that was a moment of encounter, and it changed me. And I just came away from that whole time in being in Uganda, being deeply impacted the people that I met, there was something about this people. They were humble. They were gracious. They were kind. They were attentive. There was something there. And it's almost like God spoke to me. He says, don't do anything. Just listen to these people and learn from them. And so that's all I sought to do, to listen and to learn. But when I came back, I knew that these people, they have something that we do not have. Yes, we know Jesus. Yes, we pray. But there's something different here. There's something that I'm hungering for. And that's really my experience of being in Uganda. And that was my first point of being connected. I have found that there was something, as it were, coming out of Africa. And it was good. In fact, it was more than just good. It was exactly what we needed. But what, what exactly was it? I suppose that was the question I was asking. What exactly was it? Now, you know, Uganda has an interesting history as far as Christianity is concerned. In actual fact, Christianity has come from the UK to Uganda many years earlier. You remember the story of David Livingstone when the, uh, the explorer who was exploring the Nile and in fact exploring many parts of the continent of Africa that he went out there and he was met by this American or an American newspaper reporter was sent out, uh, Stanley, and Stanley, there's this famous line where the two of them meet in the middle of, oh, I don't know exactly where, the middle of Africa. And Stanley says, like, uh, Mr. Livingstone, I presume. That's the, the comment that he made. Anyway, Stanley was impacted by what he saw because Livingstone was a Christian and he was seeking to bring the gospel to people. And Stanley wrote to Queen Victoria at the time and said, you need to send missionaries there. And so this is the beginning of missions uh, being sent out, Christianity coming 
and affecting this nation. And there's a whole big story about that. But let me just move on a few years. Because there comes a time when there was actually a revival that stirred in Africa. And it's actually known as the East African Revival. I'm going back to uh, 1929, that sort of time. 1929. Missionary, again an English English guy, um, who went out as a medical missionary to Rwanda. He went out there and spent some time at a place called Gahini, so this sort of little village place, set up a hospital, similar to what we have with uh, HHA and what they've done in Haiti, setting up a hospital so that the local people can come and receive medical care and attention, that type of thing. But at the time, there was uh, a bit of a drought, and there was a lot of poverty. Well, there's always poverty, but a lot of difficulty. And so they were going through a really difficult time. The needs far outstretched the ability for them to cope with it. So it was very tiring. Joe Church found himself getting physically exhausted. And so he made a decision, I'm going to leave uh, Rwanda for a time, I'm going to drive up to Kampala, so these are countries next to each other, I'm going to drive up to Kampala, and I'm just going to give myself a break to recuperate, to refresh, just to try to get myself together, as it were. So he goes off up to Kampala, and he goes to the, uh, the cathedral there. He is actually preaches, I think, at the cathedral, or certainly he'd been preaching around at a few different places, because there's a local Ugandan who had heard him preach. His name was Simeon Sibambi. And he'd heard him preach, and he'd, he liked what Joe Church was talking about. He was talking about the need to have a deeper life with God, a deeper connection with God. And so on this day when Joe Church had gone up to the cathedral at the center of Kampala, he was there and he was just sort of sitting down after the service and this guy, Simeon Sibambi, comes up to him and says, I've been waiting to meet with you. I've loved listening to your preaching. And so they started talking together and they shared time together and they had a really good time of fellowship and they met again, I think, over the next few days, just talking and encouraging each other. And following that meeting, they then went on their own way Joe Church going back to Rwanda uh, and uh, Simeon Sibambi remaining in Uganda. But something had happened in the encounter of these men that actually in time proved to be the birth of a revival that then started to affect uh, Uganda, Rwanda and the nations around. It was a fact of people coming into an encounter with God in a deeper way. It wasn't just that I go to church, oh God has saved me from my sins. It was just like it was something that came upon people that affected them. It changed them. From the point of view, there were people being saved at the mission hospital back in Gahini. And the effect of them coming and saying, yes, I now believe in Jesus, is suddenly the next day that one of the, the hospital porters comes and he starts bringing back things that he's stolen from the hospital. And he's wanting to get restitution. And one of the hallmarks of the sign of God moving upon people was, it wasn't just people saying, I've now come to know Jesus. It's the fact that actually their lives were showing an outworking of that. This isn't just, I've come to know Jesus. I can't stay in this place of sin. I can't stay in this place of unforgiveness. I can't stay in this place where I've stolen things and not actually sought to put that right. So there was a big outworking, as it were, amongst all the people who were finding faith, that things were being put right, there was restitution, relationships were being restored, the the presence of God was coming. And as I say, this continued from that beginning, back in 1929, this revival actually continued for the next 50 years. 
During that time, it had spread across Rwanda. It had spread right across Uganda. And then it started to spread out to countries like Kenya, Burundi, Tanzania, Congo, and Sudan. And hence, it's called, in history, the East African Revival, because it affected these nations. And it's one of the revivals that went on for one of the longest periods of time. Well, 50 years takes us actually up to the time when there is now Idi Amin, who has now become the leader of Uganda. Idi Amin actually was an army commander, and uh, he'd risen up through the ranks, so he was over all the armed forces. Milton Obote was the president. Milton Obote happened to go uh, overseas for something. In actual fact, it was rumored that he was just going to he was going to sack Idi Amin because he had found that he was misappropriating funds, army funds. But instead of doing that, when Milton Obote was out of the country, Idi Amin actually has a coup. And with the armed forces, he takes control of the nation. And now he becomes a dictator over Uganda. Now, Idi Amin was a Muslim. And he had one agenda, to make Uganda a Muslim nation. So he was connecting with people like Gaddafi and stuff like that. And there was a great influence bringing Islam into the nation. And there was great persecution amongst the, uh, amongst the churches. Many Christians were actually killed. Uh, churches were closed. Churches were burnt. There was all sorts of atrocities that took place uh, during that period of time. And so the church went into this place of like hiding. It was difficult to pray. And even after uh, Idi Amin actually was overthrown and, and he was cast out, and eventually Milton Obote came back to be president again, even during his second reign, he, he became like a dictator. And again, it was like you couldn't pray openly as Christians. That was banned. And so the only way that Christians could pray was by going into the jungles, places where they could be hidden, even at night, They'd go into the jungles because there were soldiers around and people who were actually seeking to make sure that what we want to happen is happening. Then people would go and hide in the jungles and they would pray and call upon God for the change in their nation. So that is the background. That's the background of me connecting with Uganda. That's the background of what Uganda itself has been through. And it was during these times of praying in the jungles that they say that they learn how to call upon God. Everything else around us is breaking down. But we're believing God is the only one who can help us. So we're going to go and we're going to seek him. And even if it's going to cost us our lives, we're going to seek him because we need him to bring change to our nation. That's the background of what I find with these people. And that touches my heart. And you know what? It touches my heart every time I go to Uganda to experience this, what is it that they have? And I suppose in one sense I could say, what they have is they have prayer. Or if I was to use that phrase, prayer sort of covers, they have something in prayer. And there's something about their prayer. And there's something about their connection to God through prayer that is different, that is encouraging. That causes my heart to hunger. What is this? Where can we get this from? How do we connect into this? But just to ask the question of them, well, how do you pray? It's not really enough. I, I guess there's lots of other questions that come as well. I, not only how do you pray, but, but how come you find it easier to pray than we do? How come you can pray for so long? How do you do that? Why is it different from you from us? I mean, we pray. 
That was the question I raised with Tony Rappu. Well, I said, hang on, we pray here. We pray here. We pray in England. I go to prayer meetings. I was at a prayer meeting earlier in that day that we'd had as the church. We used to have our church prayer meeting on a Saturday morning. So I've been to a prayer meeting. We pray here, but we don't pray like that. So what is it about you? How do you manage to go on for that length of time? Is it just about going on for a long time? How come prayer is so important to you? What's your connection like with God? There's lots of questions that seem to come up. And there's also the question of this. Look, how come your nation looks so Christian? Because, I mean, you, in, in Uganda, you go around and there's, there's I don't know, there's, there's stores that are Hello Jesus, you know, uh, lingerie, and there's, you know, the local uh, grocery store is Praise God for Jesus. And there's, uh, the taxis have got, you know, God reigns on the front of them. And you think, like, in this place, everybody, everybody seems to be Christians. And yet, that's not true. And they have problems in the nation. And there's still sin and there's still corruption in the nation. And so even though there's an outward sign of these things, you can still say, well, even with this prayer, that doesn't mean to say that everything is sorted. So what about that too? There's another question for you. And so I throw all of these questions at these people. But what I observe is that prayer seems to mean something for them. Much more than it seems to mean to us. And there is a seriousness and an earnestness about their prayer that we don't seem to have. And being honest with you, I I don't necessarily find prayer easy. I find that I can run out of words. So like for you to say, okay, we're going to pray, we're going to pray not for 10 minutes, we're going to pray for 20 minutes. Okay, let's give it a go. But then after 10 minutes, you think like, well, I, I... I've sort of basically, I've got a store of 10 minutes worth. And then you come dry. So what do I say now? I've had that experience. Running out of words. There are times when you don't even want to start. There are times when you don't even know what to say. I can even get bored in prayer. Oh my goodness, how long is this going to last? Have we got to keep going? So I asked them, how come you can keep going for such a long time? How come you talk of connecting with God when we find that so difficult? What do you have that we don't have? Is it that you're more special than us? Is there a sense in which like, you're here and we're down here? Is it because of poverty? That's what it is, isn't it? It's because of poverty. You've got more needs than us. So therefore, your needs are driving you. It's not that. It's true to say they do have poverty and it's true to say they do have challenges that are different from our challenges. But you see, we have a poverty of many things here too. It may not be the same with food or finances, but we have poverty of relationship with God. Ultimately, prayer is relationship with God. That's what it is. It's not bringing a list. It's not about a length of time. It's about relationship with God. And you know what? The amount of prayer indicates our level of dependency, our need of God. So whether we like it or not, when we see in our own lives, when I see in my own life a lack of prayer, it actually is telling me something, it's telling us something, it tells us this, that actually within our lives we don't really feel like we need God that much. And actually you find that often the time that people pray, 
particularly those who don't even go to church, who might be in your office or your school or whatever, where you are. Those people, they even pray when times of crisis comes. Oh my goodness, the chips are down now. Whatever is going to happen, I, know, I better pray. Because there's crisis, because we realize in the midst of crisis we need God. But for us so often here in the West, when life is fairly comfortable, and when I say fairly comfortable, you'll all know what I mean by that. It's not that we don't have our problems. We have plenty of problems. Relationship problems, health problems, financial problems, neighbor problems, work problems, you know, marriage problems. You, you know what I mean. We have those problems. But what's our level of dependency like? Simply our level of dependency upon God can be measured just like this. How is your prayer life? It's not about, can I say, how Father who art in heaven, hallowed be on name. It's not about whether I can say that. It's about what is the level of my desire to have connection with him. What does that look like? Whether we like it or not, as I say, our lack of prayer is actually saying something to us. It tells us if there's a lack that we actually don't feel like we really need to be dependent upon God. And you know, this problem, it doesn't just come from the fact of a lack of prayer. This problem comes from the Garden of Eden, where there Satan came in and infected the life of every human being. That actually says, you don't necessarily need God. And that issue lies deep within us. And you know what? That is one of the things that actually prevents us from drawing close to God. And unless we are prepared to start to deal with that, we're still going to find ourselves in this place. So when I went to Uganda, what did I do? I spent quite a few hours speaking to two of my friends, John Magoba and Stephen Nkamwe, asking them questions and talking, and we prayed together. And it's not as though like, wow, everything's changed. That's it, it's all sorted. Not at all. But I learned again we need to be serious about prayer. And prayer isn't, you know, because there's this sense of like, if I say that, then I, I'm not sure what your personal understanding of prayer is, but I'm not talking about the fact that you go home and you kneel down and you go through a list. I'm talking about what is your relationship like with God? How connected do you feel to heaven? How often do you feel that heaven is actually instructing you or do you feel you're constantly instructing heaven? By that I mean is, do you feel that God is saying, I'd like you to do this for me? Or do you find more often than not your times with him are, God, will you do this? And when you've done that, and by the way, I need this. And can you sort this out? And I, what is it like? You see, the Bible says this, those who are the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. Those who are the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. That's talking about heaven leading us, not us instructing heaven. There's a different way about it. How do we get ourselves attuned to that place? The Bible says this, John 15, verses 4 to 6. The Bible says, remain in me, or Jesus says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear fruit. Apart from me, 
you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. And there's a sense there, and I know that's talking about Jesus and the vine, but there's a sense there about it's talking about what I'm talking about, about prayer. Prayer is about relationship. It's about communication. It's about communion with God. It's about Him affecting your life. It's about you knowing Him and Him knowing you and you having that relationship. And here we're understanding from what Jesus is saying, listen, you need to remain in me. You need to have connection. No connection, then there is no connection. We know what it's like with our friends. If we meet our friends regularly, we build up a picture of what's going on in their lives. Sometimes you have good chats, sometimes you have difficult chats. Sometimes they're annoyed about something, sometimes things don't quite work out. Other times you come together and you have a fantastic time of just sharing hearts together. We know that in relationships. And we know with our relationships and the close relationships that we have is when we spend time with people and we have that time of intimacy with them that things are really satisfied between us and work out well between us. That's what we experience in our natural world. That's what God wants with us. That's what God wants. If you seek me, you will find me if you seek for me with all of your heart. You can't share your life, as it were, with lots of other things. You have to give yourself to God. He says this, if you, well, in James it talks about submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The first point of coming to God is that we actually submit ourselves to him. That is coming under his authority. Allowing him to have his way, not just telling him what he needs to do. I've spent many Probably hours telling God what to do. By the way, God, you need to do this. No, no, you need to do that. Now, if only you could do this. If only you could sort out, God, why don't I just come to him and say, God, I don't even know what to say. I tell you why I don't come to him and say, well, I do sometimes do this. But why we don't tend to do that is because we feel embarrassed. Because we feel stupid. In one sense, we've got to go right back to the beginning and say, Lord, we don't know how to relate with you. We don't know what to say. I'm so used to doing this and calling this prayer, but I need to know you. I need to know you in a new way. I need to know you in an intimate way. I need you to help me. I need your Holy Spirit. I need you to work in my heart. I need you to bring change into my life. I need you. Matthew 7 verse 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of of my Father who is in heaven. How do I find out your will, Lord, if I don't spend time with you? How do I do it? So what did I, what did I learn? I learned that things can get uncomfortable. I've learned that change is necessary. I've learned this. What's the first step? You know, if we, where do we start? The first step is this, is not me telling you what you need to do, it's you getting before God and saying, God, I need help. It's us being honest with God. It's saying, honest, I need you. I don't need to be the same as everybody else. In fact, you've created me for who I am, but I need to know you and I want relationship with you. And I want you to help me unpack and resolve my life. I need you to help me to prioritize my life. 
I want you in my life. Now, there's no point in just praying that and saying, okay, I've done it. He wants relationship. Not just Monday morning. Not just Thursday afternoon. He wants relationship with you. And the only way that he can really bring change is through that relationship. And that relationship has a look about it. And it has a look about it that's called prayer because prayer is relationship with God. It's about making that connection. It's about drawing close to him and allowing him to do whatever he wants in your life. Okay, so today we've just been looking at prayer and just the very beginnings. And we'll press on a little bit more next week and we'll unpack a few other things to help us as well. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.